It's New Hampshire Headlines in WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Be sure to check out this uh, segment every Friday in the 6 a.m. hour during WKXL in the morning. The show I host here weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. You hear the best of WKXL and me rambling about the news. Speaking of rambling about the news, we're going to be doing that for the next 20 minutes with Anne-Marie Timmons, senior reporter over at the New Hampshire Bulletin. She's much more informed than I am, though, on most things New Hampshire. Hello. Thank you. Hope it's true. <laughs> well, you uh, had a very exciting day over at the State House with regards to uh, uh, talking, uh, watching the Finance Committee, and there was kind of a uh, kind of surprising outcome when it comes to the Sununu Youth Services Center and the path forward with it. Yes, um, it was sort of a, it was a surprise. Last year, we saw the legislature again, as they have disagree over what to do about the Sununu Youth Services Center. It's 144 beds. There's on average 12 kids there, max of 18. Um, they need 40 people. They have 20. They've called the state police in for issues because they're not they don't have the staffing they need. So everybody agrees this is not where we need to put kids who are court involved. Um, but where to put them, how many beds that should be, 12 or 18 or fewer, it's always, you know, hung up this conversation again and again. So as it did last year, um, the legislature agreed that we won't agree on a plan, but we will agree that it needs to close March 1st, as in a few days. Um, and we'll get moving on it. And then so Senator Sharon Carson and the first bill of the Senate Bill 1, it was to fast track movement on that. And so it would put 15 million in ARPA money into a new facility. It would set a date of November 1, 2024. You know, it was really meant to not only fast track and get something built, but get this to the legislature as soon as possible. Um, And we went into this thinking, oh, that'll be great agreement. It passed the Senate 24, nothing. And it really got derailed today in House Finance. Um, in a surprising 23-0 vote, meaning Democrats and Republicans in agreement, they gutted this bill. They took out the 15 million. They took out the November 1, uh, 2024 closure date. Um, they just want to take a very, a much slower approach. Um, so they gave the department $400,000 to do a site eval, eval. So where do we put this? We kind of know where the department wants to go. There's one of three spots, but they want more information of where it's going. Um, and there's also some concern about how many beds. Again, we're talking about the beds, and that's a concern for some Democrats. You know, the Senate bill said up to 18. Um, to give you flexibility, but we really want you to have a budget for 12. You know, this, some House members are not comfortable with that. They want it to be way fewer kids. And so it just hit a wall again today. Um, I, I think we have a lot of new members. You know, the House turnover is about a third of the members each year. There's lots of people coming to this for the first time. Um, and they haven't been steeped in the research for years. They haven't been peppering agency heads for years. And so they want to take a slow approach and say, wait a second, we need more information. Um, I know you've been talking about it forever, but we haven't and we need more information. So we at the moment, so the 23 nothing vote, I think is pretty compelling. We'll see what happens when it goes to the House. I wouldn't want to be crossing Senator Carson in the tunnel between the House uh, to the legislature and the legislative office building. I mean, this was her bill. She was very excited about it. She got it through the Senate. 
that's going to be a difficult conversation um, in the end. The governor had called on the committee today to pass this. Um, we have talked before. We don't know how many friends he has in the in the house. So the letter did come. It clearly did not um, influence the committee. So I don't know where we are at at the moment. It was you could feel the kind of shock in the room today. All the child advocates who've been working on this forever. Yeah. I mean, especially them. I, I like. I've had like, Michael Lewis from Rathing and Pintelli on. Um, the New England take before, and he's just livid at the situation with how the state's handling things like this, and to have mm -hmm. it sucked, all the the oxygen sucked out of a, a bill like this, like just instant, just in one day, is just going to be enraging to anyone that's in the nonprofit and law side of the house. I, I it's a you know they're talking to kids, the child advocate for the state. Um, um, Disability Rights Center, NAMI, you know, they are talking to these families, talking to these kids. And they say too often it's a tragedy that moves the needle on something. But let's not get there. So that is their position. We've waited long enough. Um, you're so understaffed. You cannot even do start the therapeutic counseling that these kids really need. So not only are we not starting that, we're not moving. And so they you could just feel it in the room today when that vote came out and it was just you just could feel it it was a heavy heavy atmosphere in the room today it almost feels like politically if this had happened in, in the last term maybe maybe it would have been through because it, it was still fresh with the lawsuits and trying to figure out where the funding was going to go to pay mm -hmm. off all the lawsuits from the abuse scandal that happened a while ago there it, it, it's it's unfortunately when you start a new term with a, th a third turnover, which is just just considerable. It's it, you, I can't under can't can't underemphasize the importance of the fact when you turn over a third of a bunch of essential essentially volunteers because they don't get they get paid a couple hundred bucks a year and that's it to be in it, to, to sit in the house here. It, that's that's huge for momentum. Just just stopping. And I think they're, I'm guessing, based on what they said today, they're coming to this job feeling like they owe it to their constituents to do their job. And they see their job as being informed and making the best decision they can on as much information as they can get. So I, I think that makes sense to a lot of people, but the frustration is still there. Like how many more times can we study this? Someone said, we're having an analysis paralysis here. We can't learn any more about this. Um, this vote, is there some concern this will take the ARPA money off the table? You know, there's a date by which you have to obligate that, and then there would be a date you'd have to open the building. There was some concern that was going to be ambitious even last year with the closure date of March 1. So people feel like that could be in jeopardy. And then where, you know, it would be general fund money uh, that would go into this. So I bet we'll see something right up until the last moment in the committee of conference be one of those chips that people want to negotiate over. Um, but, you know, the department in the meantime is trying to keep these kids safe and, you know, in counseling, in some kind of therapy. And it's I think it's very hard on them to do that. And for those that that haven't, that maybe missed our last, we talked about this the last episode, but can you give a quick um summary of what this the the center currently does like it's it's very at risk uh, 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 youth that basically are they need to be essentially locked up and have 24 7 uh, nurses and things like that keeping track of them 
Yes, there are ages. Um, I should double check this. You know, they're they're adolescents um, and they have been court involved. And so there's some more serious cases and they're there longer. You know, they can come up for parole, I think, in six months. There's, you know, less serious cases or someone who has had one offense. They stay about three months, but it is secure, locked facility, you know, giant, 144 beds. And kids are doing, you know, they're getting education there. They're getting counseling. Um, but when you don't have the staff, you kind of have to turn to discipline a little bit more is what yep. the child advocate said. You can't sit with a kid and say, I know what's going on with you. I know how to deescalate this because you have no colleagues and you have three kids in this situation. And so they get put in their room or maybe they just have to be you know, secluded for who knows how long because they don't have the staff to deal with it. So these are kids who are court involved. They've had trauma. And the idea is let's get them and their families, the services they need to get them back out in the community and, and have them not come back to the senior youth services center. Why is it 144 bed? I wasn't sure if I caught that correctly at the be at the beginning, but like, well, how did they end up in such an enormous facility? You know, that has come up. Um, they got the number so wrong in some people's minds, you know, years and years ago when they put this in, they don't want to get the number wrong again. So they just, you know, we had a different system. We were putting mm. more kids um, behind bars, so to speak. We weren't having like the system, the care upstream to get people, divert them from that. And so there's been law changes, very uh, much fewer kids go there. There's fewer um, offenses that can get you put there. There is a system of care, it's called, that is going in place, has been in place for several years now. And they're starting to see that work and keeping kids you know, out of detention. Um, but they said today there'll always be some. So how much is the sum? You know, is it six beds? Someone said, you know, we're talking about a 12 foot ladder with a six foot extension. That's what we want. We don't want an 18 bed facility. We want to have the ability to move kids, like separate gang members or people who are involved in the same criminal case or by gender. So it, it's so hard to watch um, these. I don't know how you resolve the bed number. Um, if you're you're really firm about we need this many versus this many. Yeah, you're, you're basically guesstimating and hoping that you don't have a problem. I mean, the, re the judging by how old the facility is, I mean, it's the same reason why there's so many mental health facilities, mental health hospitals that have shut down over the last 50 years is just the, the way we've handled it and the way we funded it, uh, mental mm -hmm. health and across the country has just shifted so much. I mean, the, the amount of, um, like, when I grew up in central Maine, Amhi is the center that's up in Augusta. That's it, It's basically not there anymore. Like, there, there's a little mental health hospital that's there, but it's this huge, sprawling facility that's basically unused because of the way we handle it's different. And there's it's uh, I'm not saying it's wrong that we handle it different, but there's obviously holes with this transition that we've never been able to fix. Right. It's just let's not make the same mistake again. Yeah. Um, there's a shared hope that fewer kids, no kids will have to go there. Um, and how do you figure that out? That, how do that you sounds like a magic wand solution. Yes. That's, I mean, there's always going to be people that just are going to, there's situations that are the most unfortunate of unfortunate are going to happen. And when you have more than a million people in a state, it, it's just statistically guaranteed. 
I mean, Vermont, there was a warning today. Listen, if we don't solve this and more people quit and we can't keep this open, we'll become Vermont. We, they shut down their center. We were taking their kids for a while, but we can't do that anymore. And they're in hotels. They are being sent out of state. And the warning is that's where we're headed if we don't make a decision um, on this like ASAP. All right, let's shift over here to um, with the public health emergency ending. There's all sorts of questions about uh, people that are currently in the expanded Medicaid program and the ways that insurance is being handled around that is shifting because guess what? May 1st, the public health, no, yeah, May, May 1st, March 1st. May 1st. Um, the end of March. Uh, yeah, it's the end of March, that's right. April 1 is sort of a shift date. So there's going to be a big old shifting of people either reevaluating how they handle their Medicaid enrollment or having to get off of Medicaid entirely because of the way the, the rules are going to be changing around that. So what's some of the latest there? So the big um, thing is now uh, during the pandemic, uh, states received extra money for Medicaid, for you know Medicaid and expanded Medicaid, because they didn't want you rolling people off, you know, because they weren't eligible. So it was continuous enrollment, which meant they weren't redetermining people's eligibility throughout the pandemic. And the state did receive extra money to be able to carry that giant uh, 95,000 people maybe um, through. And so now the federal government with the end of the public health emergency said, you may can resume doing your redetermination, that extra money is going away. And so the state is starting that process and has I think there's 72,000 72, ish people who have not gotten in touch and done that redetermination. And so the Department of Health and Human Services has been trying and working for months and months and months on reaching those people. Um, they had a really creative campaign. Um, part of it was pink letters. They called them friendly reminders that this will eventually change and you may not be eligible anymore. Um, so please get in touch. Those have moved to yellow urgent letters. Um, and so they have whittled the numbers down, but there's still many, many people who need to call and do the redetermination. Um, so one of three things will happen. Um, if you do nothing, your, your Medicaid coverage is going away when your time is up this year. Um, and so that's primarily going to probably affect Medicaid Advantage people um, because they're on for income reasons that probably have changed over the course of the pandemic. They've gone back to work, for example. So if you do nothing, you lose your coverage. If you do get in touch, you could maintain your coverage because you're still eligible or the department or the health navigators, as they're called in the state, can help you sort out like other options you have. And maybe that's going on the federal marketplace um, which did close the, you know, the enrollment period has closed, but for this group of people, they have some time to have a special enrollment, but that will window will close as well. And the department really doesn't want to take 72,000 phone calls on the day before that ends. So they really want people to, you know, go through the process now, get in touch now. Um, and so it, it's an ongoing effort. We'll see where that ends up, but you know, I guess the message is open the mail and look at that yellow letter and call the exactly. phone number or go online to do it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting at that point now where you, everyone's been warned for um, for basically a year now because we didn't know when exactly. The, the date kept shifting and shifting, and mm -hmm. we've now made it 
more than a year, I want to say, because I think it was supposed to be the beginning of last year, like January 1st was the originally set date when uh, the public health emergency was set up. Obviously, we no one knew what was going to happen in the long term with COVID, so things change, obviously. But now we're, we're, we're do or die here. Congress has said, nope, we're, we're done funding this. We're going to be shifting over to business as usual again. And the big is if you know someone or if you are one of these individuals like you have to do it like there's no way around it go to nhez.nh.gov i mean reach out to the navigators i'll put in the episode description if you're listening to the podcast or video uh amory's article which has uh, all sorts of information i mean th- at this point it's like personal responsibility you gotta start calling people Mm-hmm. And I will say, I give maybe I'll just put a little plug in for people who are creating public announcements or public communications. I think when you're steeped in an agency, words like redetermination become make sense to you. That does not make sense to people in the real world. That is not a word we throw around. Um, and there's all kinds of words like that. And I don't know where this messaging gets tested, perhaps through experts. You might just want to go down Main Street and say, you know, does this work? In the newsroom world, you say to yourself, would my mother understand this? And if the answer is no, you got to keep working on it. And I think that might help. There's a lot of effort. Sometimes I worry that the the words um, are not real words for real people. Yeah, and I, I won't speak to my, my current situation, but speaking of my previous life at, at the law school where we dealt with academics trying to reach out to um, the world, when, especially when it came around to COVID and all sorts of other things where they're trying to fix our healthcare systems. Like, they're not all great at public relations. <laughs> you need public relations experts that really understand the wording and stuff. Redetermination doesn't mean anything to most people. I don't know what it necessarily means. It sounds redundant to me. I don't know what that means. Well, you know, I think in, I've had some prior gigs where I've been the translator to real speak for people, and they just assume I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, if you take a 10 word sentence and you can say it in five, that doesn't sound smart enough. Um, so not only have a communications person, trust them. Um, and if you don't, maybe just take your word and, and give it to a friend and say, does this make, can you tell me what this says? And um, it's not even expensive. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't cost, cost that much to have to listen to your person you've already got on staff. Um, and once again, I mean, it's, Right now, if you are unsure, if you have any question, it does not cost anything to reach out to the state if you have questions. HHS, personally, I make it no secret, I work for the New Hampshire Insurance Department. The Consumer Services Division over there is more than happy to help if you don't understand going into the private side. Because right now, I mean, people have have options and you want to take advantage of it while you have options because otherwise you can end up with several months with no coverage if you're one of the the people that just never get gets gets uh listens to the letter <laughs> right right or know what it says or don't understand what it says that the le- i've seen the le- the yellow letter it's a little better than some of the previous ones please please read yeah. the yellow letter it makes a little more sense yeah. all right we're about out of time right here senior reporter Amory timmons over at the new hampshire bulletin thanks so much for joining me Oh, thank you. It was nice to see you. NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from them and NHTalkRadio.com to get more from me. This has been New Hampshire Headlines on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead.